Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to The Salon by Laura Brown, online at thesalonbylaurabrown.com, to Northwest Texas Healthcare System, online at nwths.com, and to Rico Aviation, online at ricoaviation.com. Read the latest issue of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com or pick a copy up at one of our retail locations, including Market 33, United Supermarkets, Burrowing Owl Books, and Barnes & Noble. There are actually several others that I don't have space to mention. We are finishing up our July-August issue this week, actually, and it's a really fun one, so you can look forward to that. Today's guest is Matt Morgan. If you've lived and worked in Amarillo, or if you've volunteered in Amarillo, or served on a board in Amarillo over the past decade or so, you've probably run into Matt. He's one of those people who's a little bit of everywhere, and you know, we often define people by their occupations. I'm guilty of that because it's an easy shorthand, but as Matt will say in this interview, his career has been a bit of a winding path. He's done a lot of marketing and communication work, He's been a human resources professional. He has a lot of nonprofit experience and familiarity with the world of grants and funding. There's no real easy career title to point to. But the best way to identify Matt is to say that he's just very involved. He's connected. He gets his hands dirty and he does stuff for the community. Right now, that looks like his work with a new nonprofit called Outdoor Amarillo. Matt and I talk about all that stuff in this interview. Here's Matt Morgan. Matt Morgan, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. I've Mm. known you since you were a a small child. Yes. Um, However, I'm going to start with you the same way I start with all my guests and just ask you how you ended up here. So what brought you to Amarillo in the first place? Well, I was born here. um, So I guess that originally brought me here. Um, I've lived here my entire life, for the most part, I, I did go to college in Abilene, Texas. Mm-hmm. But those four years are the only time that I've spent away from Amarillo. Came back here after I graduated. I think that was always the plan. There was a moment in time with uh, the woman who's now my wife that we considered Lubbock as uh, an eventual hometown. But Amarillo won out okay. in the end. Did you go away to Abilene like wanting to to get out of Amarillo, experience a new place? Not really. It, it wasn't a new place. I, I went to Hardin-Simmons University, mm-hmm. which, you know, as we've grown up together, that's where our church camps went summer after summer. Um, it was Pretty kind common of, path. Yeah. It, it, our church was kind of a, a feeder system mm-hmm. for Hardin-Simmons. Our, um, at that time, our head pastor at Paramount had graduated from Hardin-Simmons. So it was a a logical step for me, um, a place I knew well. It was kind of always the only option. So it wasn't really about going somewhere new as much as it was It was a place I was very comfortable yeah. with. The place you wanted to go was not here in Amarillo. So. Exactly, yeah. It you, might as well have been in Amarillo. It was, you know, I went with four or five friends from high school. It, okay. was, um, it wasn't a large leap. Did you know what you wanted to do when you went there? I did. I declared... A major as early as I could in psychology. I had always kind of hoped and dreamed of being like a family counselor or a, a marriage counselor. I had 
issues, not personal issues, but my parents had had issues. And so that was a field I was passionate about. And so from day one, I thought that at some level, helping people, um, families was, was kind of what I wanted to do. And I, I know that you don't do that now. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me what your career looked like right after you got out of college. I mean, once you started to think, okay, I've been going to school for this. Now I have to do a thing. Like, what, what was the path? Yeah. So with a bachelor's degree in psychology, the the doors aren't flung wide open. It's like a bachelor's degree in English. Yeah, which is what I <laughs> exactly. Um, you have a very uh, narrow job field that you can enter into, most of which involves uh, case management. So I started my career doing that. I managed a, a caseload of foster kids um, for a couple of years. And then I, I moved, I think, I found out later was a logical progression. I moved to Cal Farley's um, and I worked out there for several years. That's kind of the, in the panhandle, I think if you're going to do casework, Cal Farley's mm-hmm. is the organization you want to do it for. It's the most stable. It's um, the longest tenured. Um, and so it made sense to move out there. So I commuted to to Boys Ranch um, every day for a little over three years. Wow. I was kind of a middle of the road as, as far as the time that I spent there. A lot of people are, as you can imagine, uh, the turnover is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And so the average length of a caseworker is usually about eight months. Um, and it's either that or people who make their life out there eventually as you know, maybe a house parent or a house parent supervisor or some level of administration. So I was kind of a unicorn in mm-hmm. the amount of time I was there. My mom has some health issues and it ended up being difficult for me to be 45 minutes from home in a situation where I was needed more immediately than that. My middle sister who takes care of my mom at the time was in school. And so it was, it was me, you know, yeah. that was available. And so it ended up being a, a pretty big strain on, on that. And so I decided to um, leave there and, and move on. But so that was kind of the, the only way you can enter into the job world with a degree in psychology is that. Um, but I learned so much out there um, that was transferable to other occupations. Most importantly, just engaging with students. I think that was kind of what led me to my next um, place, which was Education Credit Union. And I became the a financial educator and marketing person there. And really from there, because they encouraged civic involvement so much, that was really what opened the doors of okay. what came later. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that, you know, I I joked about knowing you when you were a kid, but we, we didn't know each other back then. Uh, but once I reconnected with you, I guess, when we were both grownups, mm. uh, one of the things I noticed was that you were always involved in stuff. Mm. Like, you weren't just working at the credit union, but you were serving on boards, and, and you've done that for a long time. And I, I wonder if that was, you know, it, it was, was that something that just definitely grew out of that emphasis at Education Credit Union, or was that something that maybe was brewing and it kind of just gave you an opportunity to to jump in? Well, I've always loved Amarillo. Um, I never, like I said about my decision to go to Hardin Simmons, it was not about leaving town. Um, so I've always loved it. There, there was never any negative feeling, uh, towards between me and Amarillo. Um, my parents from when I can remember had been pretty involved in volunteer work, 
they were more on a smaller scale. My dad um, was a an accountant, so his schedule was not always conducive for civic involvement. But he was involved in our church. He was involved, I know, on a couple of boards. I couldn't tell you what organizations. I just remember him saying he had board meetings yeah. to go to. Yeah. Um, my mom was always like PTA president or classroom mom. So I think I did watch them volunteer a lot, especially in my formative years, you know, late middle school, early high school when when they were instilling those kind of values in me and my siblings. And so it made sense to get involved, but the credit union was definitely the catalyst because they encouraged it so much. Tell me a a little bit more about your career path after the credit union. Cause I know, um, like you said before, it's, it's a quite a journey. I mean, you've, you've, you've done a lot of different things. I think on paper, if you, if you read my resume, you would just wonder how any of it worked um, (laughs) the way that it did. Um, another thing that education credit union was very, um, encouraging in was always looking at process improvement and, um, they called it moving the processes one step closer to the customer. If there are two people that are doing the same work asking why, why Mm -hmm. is that a two person job when it could be done with one? And, and so the, the idea of process improvement and, organizational improvement um, became kind of a, a sideline interest of mine. Um, and so what happened was I had a, I have a good friend who, who's still currently uh, an eye doctor and they inquired about my coming on board to look at their processes and their staff and their efficiencies and inefficiencies. And so I, I moved there to take on a role that was, kind of a hybrid role of, of marketing, which I had had experience in, and then human resources, which I didn't have experience in as much as I had organizational improvement experience. Um, so I did that for a while. It was kind of um, the way I refer to it, and I've talked to several of the doctors about this since I don't think they would mind me saying it was just kind of a failed science experiment. Okay, I don't know that they knew what they wanted or that I knew what I wanted. And so there was kind of a mutual parting. Um, I had some friends at that time who worked for a bank security company who needed a human resources person to do a very similar role, but for a company that was a little bit more inclined to welcome that type of improvement. They were growing really rapidly and they were looking for a way to make sure that they were being consistent across the board It was a company that's located in four states and they were having difficulty managing the people and the processes across that big of a geographic landscape. So I moved there. The company was called Smith Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Um, It's no longer its own company. It was purchased by Convergent Technologies, which is a a much larger um, bank security and and other industries as well. They're a global company. Um, When that merger began... I think the uh, writing was on the wall yeah. as far as what a an HR professional in West Texas was going to get to do, which yeah. was nothing. Um, and so at that time was the first time in many, many years that I had to actively put resumes out and, and begin a job search um, where I wasn't either recruited or knew someone to get me in the door. Yeah, And so there was a position at Emerald Area Foundation that that opened up during that time. And I believe it was when Catherine Wiegand left Emerald Area Foundation to go to Bivens Foundation. Right. And so I applied for that position, which was a vice president position. Um, 
And they, uh, Amarillo Area Foundation, um, they're they're amazing. And although they didn't think I was the right fit for that position, offered me another position within the foundation, which had also opened up around that time. And so I became the grants program officer at Amarillo Area Foundation. And I was there for several years working with nonprofits across the Texas Panhandle. I know you and I talked um, during the COVID pandemic right. about what Amarillo Area Foundation was doing as far as the disaster relief fund. Yeah, Which, I was going to say, you got into that position with enough time yeah. to kind of get your feet wet and then a pandemic hit. And you- exactly. During that time of the pandemic, as everyone was moving to remote work and doing things in a little bit more hand hands-off uh manner, we, we adjusted at that time as well. And so I got really accustomed to remote work. I got really accustomed to zoom calls. I got, um, I think everybody did, but yeah. my work, which was built on face-to-face meeting and, and seeing these organizations, especially in the rural towns across the panhandle changed a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I know, unfortunately they've had to dip back into the disaster relief fund lately with yeah. all the flooding. And so, um, but that was something we, we really kind of built as we were going with that fund, the, the process of getting money, um, allocated through that fund was, was intense during that time. Um, you know, I know we, we gave out well over a million dollars during the pandemic, uh, to nonprofits and healthcare organizations of, of really all sizes. And then I know that you've since started another job. Mm -hmm. Um, Just tell me broad strokes a little bit about that one. Yeah. So I'm still doing grants work. It's just on a much, much larger scale. Um, I am working for an organization called the International Sustainable Energy Foundation. It's a mouthful. Um, They're based in San Francisco, but we take grant dollars from American and European funders and fund renewable and sustainable energy projects in India. Okay. The Question I have, you know, just given your career path in Amarillo, is that, you know, it has it has connected you to a lot of different people in a lot of different sectors, I think, of of the city um, in a way that, that a lot of people are not going to experience. You know, you've been in the banking banking world, you've been in the nonprofit world. What does that taught you, I guess, about about the city? What are some things you've learned about it? Having grown up here already having a good impression, but like your work life has, has thrust you into a lot of different directions. I think what it, what it's taught me the most is that there are many, many people in Amarillo who are willing to help at the drop of a hat. I think it's pretty well known how generous the banks in Amarillo are Mm -hmm. as far as, um, you know, giving money to, charity, uh, helping individuals, whatever it might be. But I think I really learned that along the way. Early in my time at the credit union, I was in a group called the Money Matters Coalition, which no longer exists. But it was a group of um, bankers of from all sizes of banks who would get together and, and discuss financial literacy issues and what kind of a common purpose was between all of the financial institutions was to make sure that the next generation of people were good bank customers, whether Mm -hmm. they're credit union customers or bank customers, making sure that they knew what they were getting themselves into if they got a loan or a credit card. And that's just a very small microcosm of a group of people who came together to help somebody else. And I think that that exists all across Amarillo. And I think that's what I learned. And it's what I have 
valued being involved in. One of the the new things that you're involved in is called Outdoor Amarillo. And I, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about um, sort of the origin story of this organization. I, I know you serve still on multiple boards. Mm-hmm. That's one, though, that uh, profile has, has sort of shot up over the past year or so uh, and will continue to do so, I believe. Um, tell, me, tell me a little bit about that. So Outdoor Amarillo was founded really by um, a group of friends in between Olson Park and Wolfland neighborhoods. And I think what the kind of grand summary of the whole thing is, is there was a realization that the passion and desire for good parks in Amarillo is very high, while the money to fund those types of projects is very low. Um, Obviously, we haven't been successful in recent years with passing bonds um, Mm -hmm. at the civic level. So there's a need for the private world to rise up um, in regards to our parks and green spaces across town. And that's essentially what Outdoor Amarillo was founded to do, is to be a philanthropic organization that is able to access grant dollars and private donations, whereas the city of Amarillo may not qualify for the grant or a lot of funders I know from experience are not as apt to fund places who can raise taxes if they, if they need to. Um, And so outdoor Amarillo was uh, a little bit modeled after the friends of the Amarillo public library, which is a philanthropic arm that helps raise money for library projects. But we really exist to improve and restore and fortify our parks and green spaces. Okay. But before we talk about some of the things that Outdoor Amarillo is doing, I do want to talk about the disconnect locally between passion for the parks and and funding for the Mm -hmm. parks. And I realize there's some controversy about it. Um, But there was, you know, there was a moment a couple of years ago where um, maybe it wasn't a couple of years ago. I don't know what the (laughs) timelines are anymore, but you know, where we realized how underfunded the parks were um, related to the Thompson Park pool and repairs on that and 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 how it kind of got to a point of no return. And it became clear that like for maybe a generation, the parks had not really been cared for in a forward-looking manner. You mm-hmm. know, maybe we were picking up the fallen tree branches and they were getting mowed, but thinking, okay, what's the next generation of parks going to look like as we serve the next generation of park goers? And it just figured out like the, the budget hadn't been there for the city. And mm-hmm. then so, you know, we we had the opportunity to vote on some bond issues that would have helped some of that. Voters turned it down. And so there are people who get very passionate that the parks weren't being taken care of. And possibly the same people were equally passionate that they didn't want to shoulder that financial cost. Sure. And all of that's understandable. You mm-hmm. know, taxes are taxes. Yeah. Um, nice things cost money. Uh, talk a little bit about just kind of how you, maybe not even from the organization standpoint, but how you see that as someone who lives in Amarillo, the value that the parks provide to the quality of life here. Yeah. I think you nailed it for at least a generation, perhaps, perhaps longer. The upkeep and maintenance of parks in Amarillo was a safety issue. You could look at, at local playgrounds and see renovated playground equipment or um, a new, you know, picnic gazebo or whatever it might be 
typically those replacements came out of safety concerns. And appropriately enough, as uh, you know, standards for handicap accessibility mm-hmm. and things like that changed over years, you know, we had to keep up at a yeah. certain level. But I don't think that any maintenance or renovation, at least that I know of, was done out of a quality of life uh, mindset. And I think that is something, again, that I learned at Emerald Area Foundation. I uh, visited multiple grant projects in small towns around Amarillo that where a playground renovation to them was the largest economic stimulus they could come up with as mm. a, as a city. They view their parks as an economic asset. So it's not even, in that sense, it's not quality of life either, other than they view it as um, kind of a rising tide, you know, raises all ships kind of thing. If we have good parks, people are more apt to stay in our town longer. Um, I I remember meeting with um, the mayor of Kittyquay, and we were considering funding a playground renovation there. And he was telling me about really almost with tears in his eyes about when his grandkids came to visit him there, they had to leave Kittyquay and go to Silverton to play on a on a good playground Hmm. and how what that would do would cause their family to stay in Silverton all day. Spend money there. Yeah. Spend money there, you know, eat lunch in the restaurant there instead of in Kittyquay. And, but even beyond that, there was a, an embarrassment almost about having to commute his grandkids to another town to play on a playground. And I remember really being struck by that and wondering what would happen if, the citizens of Amarillo viewed our parks as economic stimuli instead of a place that you might go play on a playground. Mm -hmm. But I think the research is abundant that shows that um, cities and towns with good parks attract longer visitor stays. I think anyone at the, our convention and visitor bureau would tell you that, that healthy parks and healthy green spaces uh, keep people who might be staying one night, they might stay two nights. And for a city like Amarillo, that makes all the difference. Um, millions and millions of dollars in economic stimulus just by hotel stays and restaurant meals alone. Yeah. And that's to say, you know, that's that's not any anything to the detriment of the current like parks and rec staff in the no. city, which, you know, I've worked with closely on some projects and they are just as passionate about the parks as we are. Absolutely. Um, they're just have you know have entered a climate in which they're limited in in what they can do and so a lot of it is is kind of just survival with uh, with the amount of funding that they have and it's something that's continued for a lot of years and so you have outdoor amarello stepping in to say okay we know there are some things that need to be improved we know that we don't want to put this burden of improvement on taxpayers, sure. whatever that particular one might be. And so you're coming in with private money mm-hmm. that you're raising and saying, okay, we'll fix this one thing so the city doesn't have to worry about it. Exactly. And they, you know, I think naturally we are being drawn to projects that are slightly less sexy than something that might be uh, for you know, widely known in the public. Um, You're not building gazebos. Well, we're not building them. We're hoping to restore one. Well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But I think that what we are drawn to are are projects that the neighborhoods want. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily beholden to the city to direct us in our ventures. We we are willing to listen Mm -hmm. to the people who live in neighborhoods, knowing full well that what I need at my local park, which is Olson Park, is 
different than what someone needs, even in a similar part of town, mm-hmm. you know, at um, Western Plateau or at Windsor, we don't know for sure that the needs are the same of those neighborhoods. A lot of neighborhoods want splash pads. Other neighborhoods want soccer fields. We want to be, we want to provide and be there for, um, to help raise the money needed for those projects to come to fruition. Do you have that sort of connection with the city where you were to say, you know, we heard from the neighborhood surrounding East Park and they said they would like another picnic table. Can you go to Parks and Rec at the city and say, we've got funding for a picnic table. This is what they want. Is I mean, is there a process? How does that work? Yeah. If it's not something that requires um, a city council vote regarding safety or construction mm-hmm. or red tape like that, that's kind of another conversation. But if it is something like a picnic table or more trash cans, something like that. Um, we do have a, a clean inroad with um, our director of Parks and Recreation in town. Um, and and that's our hope is to ultimately just say confidently, we have the funding, mm-hmm. we have the proof that this is what's needed. Can you go execute it? And so far, um, that relationship is nothing but positive. Okay. You mentioned that most of the founders came out of Olson or came out of Wolfland neighborhoods. How do you make sure that your focus is not just Olson and Wolfland? I mean, what what are some of the things you're putting in place to say, okay, this is for Amarillo. Um, it's easy to just get requests from people in your friend circles, but how do you reach into the communities that may not know outdoor Amarillo exists? Yeah, I think the the obvious answer is that we are being very intentional about doing that. We um, we have not focused on Olson or Wolfland at all in our uh, at least our early business. Um, most of our uh, efforts at this point have been directed towards Memorial Park and some renovations that are needed there, not just for aesthetics, but for safety as well. There's mm-hmm. a lot of water damage and things like that. But we're working specifically on that because it is a regional park that serves the entire population of Amarillo. I mean, it's adjacent to Wolfland. You can't mm-hmm. get around that. But I think the majority of our support has been um, citywide for this for that project. Um, but we've been really intentional about saying, although we love our neighborhood parks, they are not going to be our number one priority. We want to hear from mm-hmm. the city at large before we begin really anything. Our, I think our next project that is already kind of underway is a, is a mural at Bones Hooks. Um, that was a project that sprung out of a similar mural at Sam Houston Park. Right. Um, and so our, our hope is that by hanging our hat at least early on projects that benefit completely different parts of town than where we live, um, we'll show that we're not just listening to our friends and trying to, you know, have a, a good old boys club around our parks. Tell me about the funding process for it. When, when you are reliant on private partnerships, is it mostly like small dollar donations? Are you working with businesses? Are you applying for grants? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So we, most of our uh, funding at this point has come from those smaller individual donations. Um, some event driven things, but uh, mostly just folks who have heard about us, like what we're doing and have gotten involved we have an event upcoming on June 24th that we've gotten quite a bit of corporate support for. So that that's kind of our first foray into corporate sponsorships and, and building relationships with those funders. And some of the names that you hear, you know, commonly are involved. But but I think a good thing about us is that 
because of the type of work we're doing in parks, we the doors are open to funders that may not always be have their banners at nonprofit events right. and things like that. So I'm excited about that. We will be applying for grants soon enough. One of the issues that we have now is a lot of uh, grant funders, I know from experience, require um, you know uh, an operating budget that has been in existence for yeah. a year or two. We're just not there yet. We're still really in our infancy and in, in getting our legs under us. So I think once those dollars have have come and gone through a couple of projects, um, we'll have a little bit more, a little bit stronger leg to stand on with funders. Okay. And I, I want to make sure listeners heard that that there is an event, an outdoor Amarillo event coming up on the 24th. It's yes. at Memorial Park. It right? is at Memorial Park from 2 to 7 p.m. We're going to have three bands, two local, uh, one from Austin, our local bands are uh, Dude Man and Tulsa Doom. And then we're bringing in a, a blues guitar trio. Um, the lead singer's name is Emily Wolf. She's from Austin. Um, she's amazing. If you haven't listened to her, please check her out. Um, it's really mind-blowing music. But they're going to do. They're going to cover us in music for the five hours of the event. We're going to have, uh, I believe it's eight food trucks now that we're up to. Um, we have VIP tickets available uh, for $75 each. You get a bunch of access that the general population doesn't get, but the event is free to attend okay. for for anyone, and and it's family friendly. It's not twenty one and up. It's uh, there's going to be kids activities all over the place, so we hope families come out and enjoy it. You are the uh, interim director, yes. Outdoor Amarillo, yes. How how long is that going to be interim? Um, <laughs> I, I <laughs> Do guess you have you, a time frame. You'd have to ask the board uh, <laughs> on that. I I'm not going to speak to that. Okay. <laughs> Is it the sort of thing where you're like, okay, I'll I'll kind of help run the show until we get our footing? Yeah, I, that's how it initiated. I, you know, because of the work that I do um, for the Energy Foundation, it, it's completely remote. Most of my work is overseas, um, and the time difference in that allows me most of my afternoons are completely open. So really, I I was on the board, but I was the only one that had the capacity to to kind of take meetings and do those kind of things. And with my nonprofit background, that that helps. Just thinking forward about Amarillo's parks, what are some things you would like to see or or some uh, maybe upgrades, enhancements that that you would like to, uh, you know, to add to the park system here in Amarillo? Well, I think there are glaring infrastructure needs at a lot of our parks. And I'm talking lighting, I'm talking trash cans, benches, things like that, the the non-sexy projects that I mentioned before. There's a lot of that. I do think that there are a lot of issues, not just in the parks, but allowing for pedestrian-friendly ways to get to the parks themselves. Some of our best parks are right off of busy streets, mm -hmm. and it's tough for a family who perhaps doesn't have a vehicle or rides their bikes, whatever it might be to get to use and enjoy those parks. So we, we really have to take almost rewind a bit and, and say, what does it take to get to our parks in, in the first place? But beyond that, um, I think there are, there are needs that are like turf or grass improvement in a lot of our, um, the more broad areas of, of parks. If you go to like our large regional parks, like Rick Klein or John Stiff, um, it's tough to walk your dog through the grass areas in those parks because there's prairie dog holes and mm -hmm. there are um, goat heads and there are all kinds of problems that exist. Um, 
So addressing some of those needs, um, I think is important. Um, what I would love us to do is at the same time, look at our parks the way small towns do, but also to look at the examples that have been set by some larger communities in their facilities. And, and I think we can, I think we can take it step by step with some expansion of, um, basketball courts and, and common areas like that start there and, and move and move forward. The last thing I wanted to ask is, given the amount of, of stuff you've been involved with here in Amarillo, um, you know, for, for you to say that coming back was really something you, you always intended to do. Like, has, has your career, has your adult path looked like you thought it was going to look when you were at Hardin-Simmons and then when you and Jenny decided, let's, let's go back to Amarillo? I don't think I ever imagined getting my hands in so much. Um, and such a variety of, of things. I My dad is probably my biggest, uh, at least professional example that I've ever had. And, and he has been with the same company since 1981, wow. I think. Um, right when he graduated college, he, he became an accountant. And having done that and, and, and witnessed that, I, I am surprised that I have moved around as much as I have. I think that I carry somewhat of a track record of of leaving on good terms. I I've, I don't think I've ever left anyone in a bind or anything like that, but it still is surprising when I look back at the road that I've taken, but I don't regret it. I, I think that all the moves have been positive for me and my family, and I think that um, all the organizations I've gotten to work with and be a part of have made me better, and I hope that I've made them better too. This episode of Hamarillo is supported by SKP Creative. Speaking of local parks, when I asked SKP what they wanted to promote this week, they suggested calling attention to the citywide public cleanup event this Saturday, June 24th. This week, the cleanup is from 9 a.m. to noon at McDonald Lake. As Amarillo dries out from the recent rains and the floodwaters recede, there's a whole lot of trash to be picked up. So you can help this Saturday. Bags, gloves, and refreshments are provided by the city. The city just asks that you go to amarilloparks.org first to sign up. After you help clean up around the lake, of course, head to Memorial Park for Outdoor Amarillo's Rock in the Park. Thanks again to SKP Creative for sponsoring the podcast and for sharing this message. Okay, I'm back with Matt Morgan. Matt, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a full chuck wagon setup with all the cooking tools that would have accompanied it on one of Charles Goodnight's cattle drives. Uh, so you can see all that stuff if you want to know what uh, what tools they actually used on 1883 and all that. They've got it. So you can see that at uh, Panhandle Plains. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Well, I hope that our current population growth continues. I hope that we are larger in the sense of the ability to attract larger employers, um, larger businesses, um, some of the conveniences that, you know, larger cities have. I hope to see those kind of things. I hope to see, and this might be the most controversial thing I'll say all day, but I would love to see a new civic center um, happen. I think it's important. I think that we're well behind 
the curve on that project and it needs to happen. I think it's almost essential yeah. for us to solve that problem in some way in order to maintain the growth trajectory that we have now. Like if we don't, I, I don't know how we continue that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the rumor mill is a buzz of, of important organizations considering leaving the city because of the lack of, of that kind of space. It's an issue that it needs to be rectified in the next year. I don't, I don't think we have longer than that. Mm-hmm. I think we will start to lose businesses and, and people if we don't, if we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? I've thought about this. I, I think the answer that I feel the most comfortable with is I think we have too much individualism in our city. What I mean by that is I think individualism to to an extent is a good thing. I think it's important to be your own person, to take care of yourself, to not always be reliant on other people. Um, I mean, that that's one of the West Texas, you it, know, yeah. founding documents. Exactly. Is. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and being a part of the quote unquote West, you know, that rugged individualism that you, you learn about in school, I think is, is good. Like I said, to an extent, but what I think that it, in a way it gets perverted and, and misused into not only do I not need anyone else, but no one else should need me either. Hmm. Um, and so I think that, Amarillo citizens are guilty of voting that way. They're guilty of getting involved in the community in that way, meaning they only get involved in things that directly benefit them or or their families, which again, when you say it, it's not necessarily a bad thing to get involved in something that benefits your family. But when that's all you do, or that's the only opinion you take into a voting booth, it becomes dangerous. And mm-hmm. what I think we've seen that cause in our city is that the answer is no way more times than it is yes. And um, I don't think a community can sustain itself um, operating on an island. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we need each other and we need to take a little bit more community-minded approach to solutions instead of, well, that doesn't affect me, so I'm not gonna, I don't want to pay for it. Or what I think is even more dangerous is that doesn't affect me, so I'm not even gonna pay attention to yeah. it. And I think that that is where we are currently sitting. And I think that that is a, if we continue to move that way, I think we'll see things like the Civic Center, those projects continue to fail. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because what I've seen before, you know, looking at our voting patterns, you know, it's it's mostly people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who are voting. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if they are voting on, let's say, the Civic Center, and they're thinking, I don't ever go to the Civic Center, why should I increase my taxes to pay for something there? Not realizing that that is what's going to keep their grandchildren either living in proximity to them in Amarillo or moving someplace else. And that those quality of life improvements that they may not care about as 70-year-olds are the very things that the younger generations, even their family members, do care about. And so it's voting outside yourself mm-hmm. or voting for the generation behind you. Um, and that requires, you know, maybe looking deeper into the future than yeah. sometimes we like to. Well, and I think I would I would also say to those people that that take that approach is that, it, yes, it might be a little bit more of a tax burden on you immediately. But by voting for 
projects like that. And 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 I don't I'm not saying that the last Civic Center proposal we saw was the right one. I I, I don't want to allude to that. But what I what I do think is that yes, there might be a temporary increase in your tax burden. But what projects like that do is at a very elementary level, they bring more people to our community who spend more money. And that raises our sales tax base and our hotel occupancy tax base. The more that those two numbers go up, the more that property taxes can stay low. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, if you're voting based on this individualism mentality, you should be considering these projects that do over time lessen our need for property taxes. It's just a longer time frame. It's just a much longer time frame. Yeah. What does this area not have enough of? I think I mentioned it. I I really don't think we have enough pedestrian friendly. I I know people have said that before, but I I think about it every day. My Mm -hmm. my wife and I have had a a street going now um, where we walk at least a mile every day um, outside of our normal activities. We've been doing that for, I think we're at day 550 or something like that in a row. And so I am one that knows where we need pedestrian areas. And and it's just, I don't think it's been valued historically like some other things have been. But infrastructure-wise, we need Mm -hmm. more pedestrian. It's one of those things, if if you ever get into a a larger city and they have something like that, or even just like a downtown block that's been closed off, Mm -hmm. you know, to street traffic, you think, wow, this is really nice. Yeah. And I always start thinking, okay, what places in Amarillo could benefit from something like this? And it's it's a lot of places. Sure. A lot of parts of the city. Yeah. Even just... A wider sidewalk. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm. I wouldn't even be asking for some of those big major deals. Just, you know, or a sidewalk period where mm-hmm. there's nothing but like weeds and, and grass now. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? I know that other people have said this too, but I I'm going to say that our arts culture in Amarillo is widely underrated. I think that we have arts, performing arts, visual arts, um, that rival large cities all over the country. I've been very involved throughout the years with Amarillo Little Theater, and I think the quality of theater in our city is um, on level with what you could see in Chicago or New York. Um, I've seen shows that have been produced here that, that I saw on Broadway, and I would hold our version of those shows against those Broadway shows. And I think the quality doesn't dip. And so I think even as much as people talk about it, it's still underrated. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Um, Very specifically, it is the Palace Coffee on Wolfland Avenue. I am probably there four times a week, um, at least. That's your remote working spot? It is my remote working spot. And um, I feel like, you know, hopefully I'm helping those Burns kids get through college. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's important. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Well, we talked a little bit earlier. My my favorite restaurant in Amarillo actually recently closed. It was Brent's Cafe. Yeah, I loved them. Um, I I my wife and I joke all the time that we kept them in business during the pandemic because we ordered takeout um, three nights a week. But uh, they were probably my favorite. Now that they're they're closed, I'd have to go with probably an underrated restaurant in town, um, Shiley's Soul yeah. Food. Although I don't eat there very often because, you know, the food coma afterwards is hard to recover from. But their um, Tremaine and, and his mom are 
fantastic cooks and the food's amazing. Yeah, totally agree with that. What's your favorite local mural? I have uh, a a very specific one and and it was, it's important to me because um, I serve on the public arts and beautification board for the city. And it was a mural that we funded. It's at Sunset Center. Malcolm Byers uh, did did the work. Um, it w- it's predominantly features uh, an owl uh, over the main part of it because Anne Crouch, the the kind of genius behind Arts in the Sunset, mm-hmm. loved owls. And um, I like the homage that it is to her, but there's some modern elements, some really geometric elements of it too that that are kind of a combination of past and future. And, and I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. It's a really great mural. I'll, I'll be happy once construction's finished so people can yeah. have a little bit more access to it. Yeah. It's behind a fence and a lot of equipment at the moment. Yeah. And it, harder to see there. I, and even I think I have only seen it in person from the road. So it, yeah. it's not something I've had uh, face-to-face interaction with yet. Okay. Last question. When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? I think maybe a month ago. Um, I, my wife and I, um, like I said, that our walking streak, many of those walks are hikes in Powder Canyon. And I think we were there a month ago. We, we obviously haven't been out there recently. Yeah, pre-flooding. I yeah. Guess. Pre-flooding. We were there just another day out there. We camp usually two or three times a year out there and, and we're, I, w- I would call us regulars. Do you have a favorite trail? I do. Um, I, GSL uh, is probably my favorite trail to, to hike and only hike. I, I did a trail run out there once that um, where th- that trail was part of the, the race course. And um, I will never, ever run that trail. Again. It's, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. I like hiking it at a leisurely pace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Matt, that concludes the uh, eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about Outdoor Amarillo as much as you have. But I really do want to encourage the community to come out on June 24th to Memorial Park, um, 2 to 7 p.m., Listen to the music, eat at the food trucks, um, play games with your kids, buy some outdoor Amarillo yeah. merchandise. I think we great have merch. The, we have the coolest logo of any organization in town. I I, I have no bone saying that. Yeah, I agree. Um, so buy some merch. We're even going to have uh, our hoodies out there. Um, I know it's probably going to be a hundred degrees, but uh, you know, winter will be here before we know it, and the hoodies are awesome. Um, so I really would like everyone to come to that again. It's free to attend. Um, we're going to have great vendors and a great time for the whole family and the music's just going to be amazing. All right. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Matt for the interview. You can learn more about Outdoor Amarillo and Rock in the Park at OutdoorAmarillo.org. Thanks to SKP Creative and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Hey Amarillo. And thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. I I really do appreciate it. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Katie Linger, Cindy Graham, Wes Reeves, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 305. My name is Jason Boyette. And I'll see you next week.